0: Good morning, this is Shirley Smith with Bridge the Gap. Today, we will look at uh, uh, four things. And as you know, the podcast is all about bridging the gap, uh, considering our mind, spirit, body, and soul, and how those parts of us affect what we do, how we behave, how we receive information, how we respond to things that come to us. Uh, And so, we want to look at those areas specifically today. In our broadcast, we are going to hit a difficult subject today, and so I felt that it's necessary for us to not only uh, bridge the gap with our mind, which is the knowledge of the subject matter that we will talk about, and then also bridge the gap with our spirit by having a meditation on Psalm 63, and then we will talk about our body. So I'll talk about some uh, changes or habits that I'm creating uh, food-wise, exercise-wise, those types of things. And then soul. With the soul, we're going to talk about our will, our character. Because I think all four of these things have a whole lot to do with the subject matter that we're talking about today. So the subject that is on today's agenda, I've kept you waiting long enough, uh, it is actually a review of the book The New Gem Crow by Michelle Alexander. And just to remind you who she is, she's a writer, she's a civil rights advocate, she also is a visiting professor at Union Theological Seminary, uh, she also has her bachelor's degree from Vanderbilt University and her J.D. from Stanford University. So, I have a thought. After this podcast, you will have more knowledge and better understand why we're asking for voting rights and other things. And then you will also feel better by listening to Psalm 63 and basically giving gratitude to God for all of his goodness because he has been good when we consider all the bad that we have been able to live through and survive and thrive through. And then also with the body talking about changes that we can make to help our personal bodies so that we can be healthy and able to thrive in a better way. And our soul is key. That's our will, our mind, our desires. We really need to take a look at what is really in our soul. Stay tuned. This is going to be a good podcast. I have thought you will share this one. Okay, we are talking about the mind, body, spirit, and soul. Not in that order today, and the reason we're not doing it in that order today is because of the subject matter that we will discuss. So what I will do is uh, talk about um, the, or give a quick summary. I'm going to give my summary, and I'm going to give the author's summary of the book *The New Jim Crow* by Michelle Alexander, and that's a rough subject. It's one that takes. Uh, a lot to get through, to digest, to understand, but because I believe that we perish due to lack of knowledge, I think it is so important that we receive knowledge, because with that knowledge, it can become wisdom if we then apply the spirit. And so, that's key, okay, so first we're going to talk about the body, because I think when we deal with tough subjects like this, we need to prepare mentally, physically, and in every way because our physical can't affect our mental. And so we need to prepare ourselves and we need to be healthy people. We're living in a time and a season uh, that it's difficult. It's difficult for everyone, not just some people, but all people. It's difficult uh, because we have the virus. We now have the Delta variant that is rising. Uh, we have still uh, the inequalities issues that we're dealing with. Uh, we still have poverty issues. We still have homeless issues. We still uh, are struggling trying to figure out do we allow children to go to school? Do we not allow them to go to school? We still have people struggling with wearing a mask even though we have over 600,000 people who have passed away from COVID in the United States and in the world it's millions. So just want to work on the body today. So first of all, I need to give thanks to two friends of mine who has been helping me and I I consider them my coach. They don't know this, but (laughs) I consider them my coach. So one is Patricia Morris. And I think you will remember uh, a time when we had a podcast together where we talked about her gardening. She has this amazing garden with all of these wonderful vegetables and it's still going Uh, and she's (laughs) her garden is acres whereas my garden is in pots in my backyard but still garden so Patricia has not only helped me with uh, the importance of eating raw vegetables and salads and so forth because she used her turnips and collards and all those kale and all those and raw vegetables in her salads and does that It sounds like more than she does cooking them, but I'm sure she probably cooks them as well. I was accustomed to only cooking them, (laughs) but not eating things like collards and turnips raw. So now I do both, so to be on the healthy side. Uh, The other thing that you may remember about Patricia is that at the time before COVID, she was training for the senior swimming Olympics. So uh, she keeps her body healthy and strong Uh, exercises and does the right thing so she has now shared with me the value of walking and so I've started wearing the compression socks that she suggested as well as Hoka walking shoes and actually my legs feel so much better so much more refreshed so I'm sharing this with you too because if you are walking or running daily then make sure you're protecting your body you're wearing the right type of gear that is going to help you. And as Patricia says, keep these in your toolbox. <laughs> so I'm keeping in my toolbox the appropriate type shoes to wear along with compression socks. And uh, and then also she's introduced me to uh, the knee pads as well as you know, looking at things for the ankle, making sure the ankle is taken care of. So that's very important. And I also have kudos going out to Pamela Smith, and her last name is Smith, but we're not related, Uh, but she is also a member of my uh, recent Reconciliation Book Club, but she has been helping me with nutrition. And so because of her, I have now started watching more vegan seminars and podcasts. I'm now listening to Tabitha Brown and uh, understanding the importance of meal prep so this morning when i woke up i opened my patio door i went outside into the fresh air uh, i got dressed for my walk and uh, but before going on my walk i went outside and got fresh air walked around in my garden uh, took pictures of some of the flowering crepe myrtles that i have and then uh, i went back inside left the door open turned the ceiling fans on to let all that nice cool air come in because this is before 7 o'clock a.m., so it's really nice outside. The wind was blowing. It was just really nice. And so, on top of that, I started to do some meal prepping. So, for my snacks, mango, avocado, uh, also strawberries, pears. So, I did some just cutting up of all those, putting them in bags. Some I froze, some I put in the refrigerator for later. And then, just to let you know, yesterday I made a wonderful pasta... So you can try this. Now, this is Shirley's recipe. <laughs> but I used pasta, and then I also had eggplant, asparagus, portobello mushrooms, and that helps me to feel like I was eating a little bit of meat, although I had no meat in the pasta. Onion and garlic, garlic of course, and then other seasonings. And then I used a, a sauce that was really nice on the pasta. You choose whatever sauce you want to use. But I just wanted to say... Prepare your body, prepare your mind. And your body needs to be healthy and your mind needs to be strong so that when you receive knowledge, you can tell the difference between knowledge and things that is untruth. You can tell the difference when truth starts rising and when falsehoods are trying to keep it down. So, in my podcast, I like to talk about truth. Truth is rising, and you know what? Even if I didn't do my podcast, somebody else would be doing it. Uh, If they were not doing it, someone else would be doing it. Because it is time for truth to rise. And truth is rising, it cannot be stopped. Martin Luther King says truth not to the ground will rise again. There is a scripture that talks about everything done in the dark will be brought to light. Everything done in the dark will be brought to light. So today we want to bring some light to the incarceration issues that we have in America. Okay, we're going to get into the review of The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. Just to remind you of who Michelle Alexander is, and this is important because when we're understanding and receiving knowledge, we're not talking about some fiction or something that you heard someone say. And the importance of the Race and Reconciliation Book Club is to stop talking about what you heard someone say. And that person is not an authority on the subject matter that they're speaking of. They are hearing it from someone else, and hearing it from someone else. Uh, I call that gossip, and scripture even talk about gossip, <laughs> and how you don't participate with that. But anyway, that's a whole nother teaching area. But anyway, so Michelle Alexander, to give you the credentials of Michelle, uh, she is a writer, So this is not her first look. She is a civil rights advocate. This is not her first rodeo. Uh, She is a visiting professor at Union Theological Seminary. Uh, She has a bachelor's degree from Vanderbilt University. She also has her JD degree from Stanford University. So I think she has proven herself as far as her knowledge. She has gone after knowledge. She has gone after experiences. She has done research. So this is what I consider to be knowledge. Now why do I call it Truth Rising? I call it Truth Rising because there are things that I learned in this book that I did not know. I have lived in the country all my life. I was born here and my family has been born here for at least five generations or six. Uh, And so, There are things that we just do not know. So unless we actually pick up up a book to read, a nonfiction book that someone has done research and is an expert in the field and is knowledgeable, not a hearsay person. Because there are many books out there, and a lot of them are thoughts and suggestions. But Michelle Alexander is one of those who is an expert in this field. She has her J.D. degree from Stanford University. You can't just get degrees just by osmosis. You actually have to do research and uh, do lots of study on the subject matter. So at my book club, Race and Reconciliation Book Club, there are things that we consider. Questions like, what facts helped my understanding with issues within society? So we hear all the time that there's mass incarceration, but what is that really? Uh, What we're finding out in the book, and what I will do, I'm just going to do two things, uh, because you really need to read the book yourself. I believe in reading for yourself. I believe in reading the Bible for yourself. I really do. believe in reading not just hearsay and not just sitting and waiting for someone to tell you what they think you need to read analyze digest now you can compare the knowledge and the information that you're receiving and this is so important because right now we have a country that is so divided some believing in fiction, other believing in non-fiction. Unfortunately, because we're one country, our beliefs can actually kill us all depending upon what it is that we believe. So we have the Delta variant happening right now. And it is, it is really uh, interesting because we have more and more people dying and we still have people who believe they shouldn't. They should, should have the right not to wear a mask. In other words, they have a right to catch the, the, the variant. So, you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to go any farther on that. But what I will do is talk about The New Jim Crow, the book. So these are some things that I learned. So we're going to talk about two things, things that were fascinating facts to me. And then I'm going to talk about <clears throat> a summary. So I went uh, farther in my research <laughs> after reading the book. look up how Michelle Alexander summarizes her own book because I think that's very key. She did a lot of research and a lot of work and so I would love to hear her summary and I think you would too. So let's first talk about some facts that I learned that I did not know. First of all I learned that there's 2.3 million people in our prison systems right now in America. We have 4.5 million people that are under state control on probation or parole. So technically speaking, all of those people, that would be 6.8 million people, really have very, very, very limited rights. Uh, And then uh, her book goes on to tell us that 20% of America, of the American population, which is about equivalent at the time of the writing of her book, about 70 million people have criminal records in the USA. I was fascinated by that. It's like, I can't believe it. Her book goes on to say, this is very key. It says that when jobs are few and our economy struggles, incarceration rate goes up. And the reason that happens is because the United States has another way of making a profit. And it's by using prisoners to do work free. And it's basically free in most cases. I remember reading myself, just research that I did because I found that interesting. I found out that even in the state of California, We will use prisoners to help put out fires, wildfires, because we have wildfires going on now. Those prisoners are paid very little, if anything. And when we say little, we're talking probably less than $2 an hour, if they get paid that. But the thing that's interesting is after they get out of prison, they're not allowed to apply to be a fireman because of their record, even though they have the experience and they're used to help fight the fires while they're in prison. And then uh, I read on to find out that in the state of Arizona, again, they use prisoners as well. They pay their prisoners about $1.50 an hour to fight fires risk their lives fighting fires uh, and then it seems that the firemen may be getting say $22 an hour they're fighting the same fire <laughs> it's not as though the prisoner and the fireman are not fighting the same fire they're fighting the same fire and so these things are very interesting so basically we're getting very cheap labor to still be profitable and still help this country to, th- to remain a thriving economy in the world. Another thing that was brought out in her book is this. During 2008 and before and after, when the world was going through an economic crisis because of what the banks actually did, what Wall Street actually caused to happen, Where there were lots of bankruptcies and people losing their fortunes. Uh, And by the way, even though millions of people lost their real estate and their prosperity, and you know, things, because with real estate, sometimes that affects generations. So, millions of people, by the way, During the financial crisis, to be more specific, 44 million people lost their property. And this was due to banks purposely setting up all types of subprime and loans that would actually entrap people, knowing that the economy was going down and people were losing their jobs. And how did they know that? Because, as early as 1999, when I was traveling in countries like China and Brazil, I was seeing Ford trucks in Brazil. And I started asking questions. Why am I seeing so many Ford trucks over here? They said, because we manufacture them. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. And then in China, I saw things like Buicks and Jeeps. I thought, why am I seeing so many Jeeps in China? Because guess what, they're being manufactured there. So still today, if you check, you'll find out that Ford was once one of the major hiring corporations in the United States of America. But when we decided to make, when Ford industry, Ford, uh, or I should say the car industry, decided to make more profit, they actually sent those jobs out of the country which unemployed Americans. And so how do you keep the American economy going if you're going to lay people off? Now, we've had that to happen in our computer industry. We've had that to happen in the car industry. We've had that to happen in many, many industries. And then the other thing we need to be concerned with today, and this is just a freebie, I wasn't planning on mentioning this, but today we need to be concerned with uh, Technology is also replacing human jobs in America. So anyway, that's in all around the world for that matter. But I thought it was very interesting that 44 million people went into poverty during the financial crisis of 2008. Now let's compare this because I wonder how many bankers actually went to prison or lost their life because of 44 million people slipping into poverty in the United States when George Floyd had a $20 supposed counterfeit bill and was killed on camera before the world. So These are some facts that I found really interesting. The other part of this is that when I read her book, she talks about black men particularly are being the ones that are put in prison, and they're being placed in prison for things like possession of marijuana or use of marijuana not even necessarily selling marijuana. And so, but when we need more bodies in the prison system so that we can be more profitable by using them with our corporations, whether they're telemarketing calling us or whatever, because all of us receive those telemarketing calls. Uh, But what is happening is this. There are a few people who's making millions of dollars on private prison corporation. A GEO group is one of those corporations. The annual revenue is about 700 million dollars. It's located in 38 states and even when prisoners get out and they are say on parole, they have to wear a GPS tracking device, which they, the prisoner, has to pay $300 per month. But unfortunately, once you have been in prison, you lose your right to vote. You, you, you lose your right to public assistance, like housing, welfare, food um, that others might get that's on welfare. So you don't have a right to that. You have a hard time finding a job if you find a job at, home, at all so you can become homeless but somehow you have to pay that $300 a month for your tracking device so that the state can be aware of you at all times where you are. So these are things that was really astounding to me because I didn't realize that all your rights are gone, even after you come out of prison. So you have, you struggle to just try and figure out things. Another question that we ask in our um, book club is just reflect. If you reflect on what you're learning, how can you identify, if at all, identify with any of this, uh, maybe based on some of the things that you have either read in other nonfiction books or situations that you have encountered personally? And so one of the things that was mentioned is that um, the, the Freedmen's Bureau... Actually, exist years ago. Uh, actually, to give people, uh, to help people who were struggling uh, financially and needing food, clothing, fuel, whatever assistance they needed, because they were former slaves. And so, what reflection I had at that time is that my grandfather, uh, his name was Felix Irvin. My grandfather was actually a part of the Freedmen's Bureau, so he was one of those who helped provide food, uh, work for people who were jobless or didn't have it or couldn't afford. Uh, and, and so I thought, this is actually amazing because I have not thought about the Freedmen's Bureau anymore. I heard that name being mentioned when I was younger, but I did I had no idea how valuable the services of that organization was. The other thing that is interesting in her book, she brings out the fact that in 1867, 15% of Southern of Southerners elected to official office in, say, Congress were actually black, as compared to 1965, when fewer than 8% of Southerners elected to official elected officials in Congress were black. So it was almost like we're going in reverse. Now this brings us to reflections on today. Right now we're having congressmen, we're having fights between the Democrats and Republicans about voting rights. And the reason there's such a fight, and we do need to understand this, there's such a fight because years ago, after slavery, there had to be a fight for the right of black people to vote. And now, many years later, since 1867, (laughs) we're now in 2021, and we're having that fight again. And that's why. Now, let me go back to why is it that we're bringing up incarceration so much? Well, this is key. We have such a high percentage of our black Americans that have been locked up in prison. Uh, however, the statistics does not pan out to what what is really happening. So we're concerned that slavery is being continued in our mass incarceration. And that started with the war on drugs, which happened, I think, back in the time of when Reagan was president and then Bush talked about it and then even Clinton pushed that forward. And that war on drugs was basically locking up people who uh, was found with marijuana. And what we found out in in the readings of the book as well is if someone is in your house or in your vicinity or is related to you, and they are found with drugs that your property can be seized as well. I thought, what? <laughs> so you know, it's amazing. But let's let's get a little deeper into this. It says that ninety percent of people arrested and convicted of drug offense are African American. Well, why is that so hard to swallow? Because we found out in 1995 that African-Americans were only 15% of the drug users in America. African-American youth are about 16% of all youth that use drugs, 28% of juvenile arrests. In other words, we're arrested at a much higher rate than we are as users. 35% of African-American youth that are arrested are viewed in adult courts and 58% of youth placed in state adult prisons. 58% of the African-American youth are placed in adult prisons. So, we're concerned here Because the prison system has become a huge dollar maker. There are over 700,000 prison guards employed. And so if prisons were to decrease, then some of those jobs would then go away. But guess how much money is spent on policing? $185 billion is spent on policing. And guess what name is associated with millions of dollars invested in the private prison systems? Because you can actually own a prison as a private citizen for profit. The government places the prisoners in the prisons and you get the profit. And so, $185 billion is spent on policing in America. And Dick Cheney, one of our past vice presidents, is invested by the millions in private prisons. So what we can draw from that is that when leaders of our country are actually promoting prosperity off the backs of others, that's something we need to be concerned with. Now, uh, these are just some minor things that, well, they're not minor at all, but these are some things that uh, were very concerning to me. Um, we continue to seem to um, grow this this need to... Um, incarcerate more african americans for that cheap labor and when we consider it a very small percentage of people in prisons are actually criminals who let's say murder kill still it's a very small percentage less than 20 percent. the rest of the people in there were picked up maybe a traffic violation and sometimes uh, marijuana may have been planted on them, or crack cocaine, uh, and other things. But you will learn a lot um, by reading this book, and I, I really suggest that you do it because one of the reasons why some congressmen are now pleading for us to vote for people to have the right or vote for marijuana not to be an illegal drug, it's not because we want to all be drug addicts, because I've never tried marijuana before in my life, nor have I tried any illegal drug in my life, never have, never have desired. It's just, I guess, the way that my parents raised me. But but the thing is, is that we're not trying to say marijuana should just be used and smoked. and it's That's not the point at all. The point is that, we're still locking up people into prisons and destroying their life for the rest of their life because they have marijuana on them. And we have found out that there's such a higher percentage of African Americans that are stopped uh, by the police and arrested for illegal substance or whatever. They arrest them and put them in prison. Now the other thing that I found horrifying, because I do watch the news, so I was watching BNC one day, and they were talking about uh, the Texas prisons, and now this is true in many prisons, it's just that they happen to be talking about the Texas prisons that day. The Texas prisons, uh, they found, don't have air conditioning. Many of them do not have any air conditioning in the cells for the prisoners. So there are literally prisoners who are being cooked to death because some of those cells get up to 130 degrees. Now I'm just gonna pause a second. Some cells get up to 130 degrees. And even though we spend $185 billion on policing, and we have 700,000 prison guards. The reason we are told that air conditions aren't in the cells, it's in the prisons, but just not in the prisoners' cells. We've been told that the prisons cannot afford, they don't have the budget for it when we know that millions of dollars are invested in prison systems, even private prisons. And we have lost value for people's lives. Someone whose whole career and life has been destroyed because they were placed in prison and allowed to be cooked to death alive. In a 130 degree... Tips when it's hot outside. So I I, I just stopped there for you to take a listen and just reflect on that. The number of people, 2.3 million people in prison, and then we have those who are on parole, another 4.5 million. And then we learn that many of those that are on parole end up back in the prison system. Then we also learn that there are many people in the prison system that are even innocent. And then we learn that many of the prisons have no air conditioning. So some people are allowed to physically Cook to death while they're alive. Now, this is a summary, some summary that I think is very key, that Michelle Alexander uh, suggested, uh, and we have to think of what do we need to do to, to better this, because some of this, I, I, I'm just real blunt, I see some of this as just evil. It is evil when you just lock people up, destroy their life, and then on top of that allow them to cook to death in a prison. America, I thought, some refer to, because I say I think, I'm not sure anymore, but uh, some have referred to in the past as a Christian nation. And so, as we've discussed in others, um, that word has many definitions at this point, from person to person. So let's go back now to Michelle Alexander. These are her some quick summaries that she's given because she thinks we need to do something in many areas. But one of the areas she suggests is that uh, drug offenses account for two thirds of the rise in federal inmates and a half of the rise in state uh, prisons. And we need to do something about that uh, because uh, it's just really throwing people, taking their life away in vain. Two, she believes that uh, drug users, she said 75% of drug users are actually white, and only 25% of the drug users are minority. So, we're certainly a lot of inequality there as to who we're actually locking up. Three, she said the targeting of black people within the criminal justice system must cease. The courts have made it basically legitimate to racially discriminate against people, those especially who uh, have been placed on parole. Uh, but they've been in this system, so you have the right to discriminate against them. You don't have to hire them, they don't have to receive welfare, they don't have to receive food, they don't have to, you don't have to consider them if they're homeless. Uh, they do not get government or public assistance. Four uh, is litigation, she asked this question is litigation the best solution? In other words, Uh, Attorneys do fight for the people who have been treated wrongfully. But is, is, is the reason, what is the reasoning or the purpose of the fight? Is it attention for the attorney? Or is it really changing anything about the system? So in other words, shouldn't we be fighting to change the laws? Yes, we should fight to free people who have been wrongfully placed in prison, but we should more so fight to get rid of the laws that are putting them there. So if we're stopping people as a war on drugs, then we need to stop that. Or we need to come up with a better solution in case there is actually a problem. Similar to... Uh, when opioids got out of hand, because we have a large white population who has been on opioids and other so other drugs, that has now become a situation where corporations are being sued, uh, and pharmaceutical companies are being sued for pushing those particular drugs. And so the question is, what can we do about the war on drugs when it comes to marijuana and cocaine and some of these substances that people are being thrown into prison for. Are they not drugs? Should we not at least consider a program, if the people are actually drug addicts, should we not consider that a program as you would a medical program if someone is medically ill or mentally ill? Uh, Is that not something that we should treat that way? the fifth thing she said is there's a need for a positive feedback loops versus vicious cycles so in other words these vicious cycles of people coming out of prison and going back into prison because they've been on parole or whatever and now they commit another crime and they're put in back in prison for this different crime maybe it wasn't drug possession this time but something else Um, And then the other thing is, when are we going to look at the rate at which we're stopping African Americans more than we're stopping, or in Hispanic Americans, because they're being stopped quite a bit too. Uh, So we're stopping minorities doing these traffic stops much more than we are with white Americans so when are we going to stop this vicious cycle and what are we going to do to stop this cycle the sixth thing she mentioned is that the public is basically in denial and the reason why i hesitated in the midst of the situation where we are imprisoning people for minor things and allowing them to die cooked to death able Bodied human beings, cooking to death alive, that is an ultimate abuse and an ultimate evil. And this is why I want to talk about the soul in this broadcast as well, because I think sometimes we're not aware when our soul is damaged, and it's so damaged that we could actually watch a human being cooked to death before our eyes. We can actually mistreat someone because of the shade of their skin. We can actually not even see a person because of the color of their skin. There, there's something wrong with the soul there. And the reason why we're talking about the spirit, because the spirit needs to help correct that soul of the human. We have a spirit and a soul. It's it's two different areas of us. So we're mind, body, spirit, and soul. Our mind, we need to increase our knowledge as we're doing right now with this information. And we need to understand why are people protesting so I hope this helps. I hope this helps why people are protesting for the right to vote, or the continued right to vote, I should say, and why are people saying we need to make marijuana a, a, a legal drug? Well, other countries like Amsterdam and others where I've been, uh, that is, marijuana is a, not an illegal drug. I mean, once you get out in the airport, you can smell it. Uh, but the reason they did it is because they found out that drug dealers and the very wealthy make a lot of money on the sale of drugs. The people using the drugs don't make money. It's the people that's selling the drugs. And, and some of the sellers are not making money. They're the ones that are arrested. But it's the people who own the drug operation that's not being arrested. So we need to think of those things. Uh, And then the seventh uh, thing, just to bring to your attention that we're using prisoners to fight our fires, our wildfires, but those same prisoners, when they do come out of prison, are not allowed to then apply for a job as a firefighter, even though they have more experience than someone who's becoming for the first time, a firefighter. So you see how we have limited the rights of people who have been incarcerated. And that's why mass incarceration is such an evil within the United States right now. Because it's so uh, unequitable, it's just not an equal way of the way we're putting people in prison. It is not the best solution for any human being. Uh, There are just things that we need to adjust and alter, Uh, we need to correct, and I think as individuals, after you hear this knowledge, I hope you will do a soul check on yourself and think about the things that I said. What is in your soul? Do you just have a desire to just, well, let them rot in prison? Do you just feel like it's okay for someone to just die and be cooked to death with heat at 130 degrees? Do you think it's okay for people to just be thrown in jail and not have any rights ever until they die and leave the earth? It's time to do a soul check. Now let's pay attention to the spirit and how the Spirit can help us correct our soul. Okay, as promised, we will also meditate today on Psalm 63. And so this is the way it goes. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And your name I will lift up my hands I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods and singing lips my mouth will praise you On my bed I remember you I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help I sing in the shadow of your wings I cling to you Your right hand upholds me Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouse of liars will be silenced, and some versions of the scripture say stopped. Why this particular psalm today? We have touched on some knowledge, information. We have educated ourselves just a little bit. We'll educate ourselves better when we read the entire book. (laughs) But just some of the nuggets from the book uh, can be disheartening, uh, could cause us sorrow and sadness. But when we read something like Psalm 63, where we realize that some of us are alive and well and thriving, regardless of all the things that are going on, regardless of all the incarceration rates and how unfair they are, regardless of how bad the COVID virus is spreading, and people being so confused they don't know what to do whether to take the the vaccination or not. Unfortunately because of all of this lack of knowledge we're perishing due to that lack of knowledge. But if we see God as our source for real then we need to let him know that. So we need to meditate upon his word. We need to take this scripture and apply it to our life as if it was us and not just David speaking, because here David is talking to God, he's conversing with God about his place of despair. But instead of talking about just his despair and just the enemies that are on his back and just the bad things that are happening in his environment, in his world, in his season, He is coming to God and giving Him gratitude, thanking Him, and letting Him know that He is number one first, not all the other things that are going on. So we're going to read this one more time, and this time imagine yourself speaking this to God, and imagine the things that you have been able to to skip over, so to speak, regardless of how bad things have gotten, remember that you have experienced deliverance in the past, and you will experience it again. You have experienced, perhaps, illness in the past, and you will, just as you got over it then, you will get over it now. You have lost family members in the past, and you are still here, and you're still able to give God thanks, even though it's difficult, but with so much gratitude, your heart becomes lightened, and your character, very importantly, does not suffer from all the negative things that have happened. There are some things that I've found out just from observing people for a number of years in a number of different ways, in a number of countries, number of states within the United States, a number of seasons of life. From all those observations, it is interesting that the character of people is still very individual. How they receive, how they respond, how they behave, how they understand things is very different. So, we want to make sure that we're bridging the gap in our minds, spirit, body, and soul. So, for the spirit to bridge the gap today, we're meditating upon Psalm 63. telling God who he is to us personally. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in a sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. In other words, I will praise you. As long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, with mouth, will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night, because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings, I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king but I will rejoice in God all who swear by God will glory in him while the mouths of liars will be silenced let's go with scripture 11 just one more time instead of saying king we will replace that with I but I will rejoice in God all Who swear by God will glory in Him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. So meditate upon that. You may want to listen to that a few times, and then you will be able to just think on these things. to bridge the gap in every way. We want to improve our lives, our mind, spirit, body, and soul. And so we're going to talk a little bit now about our soul, which would also be a part of who we are as our character. Uh, So I want to read something to you first from the scriptures, just to give you a little bit of an idea of the difference between the spirit and the soul. Uh, It says uh, in Galatians, and this is the fifth chapter, it's 16th verse, starting there, it says, Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh, for what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to prevent you from doing what you want. And so, the Spirit is there to bring correction to our soulish desires, our will, things that we would really like to do that maybe are not good. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious, things like fornication, impurity. Uh, I won't go into all of these, but it talks about strife. Jealousy, anger, quarrels, uh, envy, drunkenness, uh, hatred, uh, hostility, discord, and dissension, debauchery, which is just excessive indulgence in pleasures. Uh, and so, and then it goes on to say even sorcery or witchcraft. And so, if we look at these things, this is what the scriptures say. This is not what Shirley says. This is what the scriptures are saying. I'm reading the scriptures now. So, if in this is Galatians fifth chapter, the sixteenth verse, and it goes through the twenty-first verse. Now, let's talk about the fruit of the spirit. So, we have just talked about the soul. So, the desires, uh, envy, strife drunkenness, uh, sorcery, anger, quarreling, uh, division, discord, and so forth. So now, verse 22 says, By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, if we look at that, it is though our spirit, which that's why we meditate after reading this uh, information or learning about the New Jim Crow and all what that means. We now want to bathe ourselves in a meditation of the scriptures, and that's why we did Psalm 63. And so we want to do that because our spirit is what is going to correct our soul whatever those soulish desires are, they need to be corrected. Now, why do I say that? I'm going to read you uh, just three more scriptures, and this is with Jesus speaking. John 8 and 44 says, and he's addressing someone who we would think would be a leader among the people, one who maybe teaches the scriptures, But they do not live by them because it's the soul has taken control of the spirit instead of the spirit taking control of the soul. So he says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will, your intentions, your desires, is to do your father's desires. In this case, the father being the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, and the character here just means, and we're looking at the Greek definitions, what is ordinarily the person, what is peculiar to that person. So he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Also, if you look at meanings in the Greek for character, it talks about members of one's household. So your character is not only formed by the desires and who you are, but also is influenced by people in your household, influenced by your friends, people who you hang out with. And so we want to be mindful of that so if we read to you one more time we'll just read this without all of my explanation but hopefully you will understand john 8 and 44 says you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Romans 5 and 4 says, And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So even though some are being oppressed and taken advantage of, mistreated and abused, if they can endure, it's going to produce a character that is unlike the character of the oppressor. The oppressor is producing a character but it's becoming more negative. The oppressed, on the other hand, can develop a negative character or they can choose to grow from that oppression and become a better person. We do know that empathy is developed within us when we have experienced something and then we see someone else experiencing it. We have lots of empathy for them and we'll even stand up for them at times. But when we have not experienced anything, (laughs) no oppression, we don't understand the oppression and we don't understand the oppressed. And so Hebrews 6 and 17 says So, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, purpose there being his will and his decisions, he guaranteed it with an oath. So, there is a character of God that we desire or should desire. The character of God is that He does make promises, and He does follow through. So keep that in mind when we're thinking of character, uh, and when we're thinking of our soul. So we want to meditate upon Scripture, we want to pray, we want to experience gratitude that's a part of developing and maturing our spirit. And our spirit will help to correct, develop, and change where necessary our soulish desires and will and the decisions that we make. I think that actually can determine the difference between a person who decides to help the oppressed and the person who is either oppressing are murdering the oppressed. There's a big difference in our soulish desires. Okay, we're going to summarize what we've gone over today. I think it's that important that we really need to summarize how is it that we are pulling all this information together, the mass incarceration, as well as who we are as individuals. First of all, we talked about the mind. First of all, we need to know that a situation exists. That's one of the reasons why we read nonfiction books. Two, once we know, we need to acknowledge what we know. Because if we refuse to acknowledge and deny what we know, we ourselves damage our own souls. Okay, let me just say that one more time. If we acknowledge what we know, that is one way to help your soul because to deny what you really do know, to deny truth, damages your soul. The other scripture that comes to mind, too, is the reason why we want to know, we want the knowledge, is because we do perish due to lack of knowledge. That's key. We may think that if we sit still and allow our sister or brother to die, that it won't ever happen to us. But if we continue to allow our souls to go into a deep, dark place, remember when we talked about character according to the scriptures, and if we were to look up some of that information in the Greek, we'll find out that carriages is associated with the people that we hang out with, as well as our family and friends. So if we're hanging out with people who have all damaged souls and we're all denying truth, we're just going deeper into a place where the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will have a hard time reaching you. I think we can go so far sometimes that we can't be reached. And I do wonder if that's why the suicide rate, and if you listen to my earlier podcast uh, a week or so ago, we talked about the suicide being the number 10 thing in America for death in Americans. So I wonder if suicides are associated okay. with these damaged souls, that cannot be reached any longer by the Holy Spirit. And then we also have to think of all the mass shootings. We have had more mass shootings in America uh, the last uh, few, well, last year or two. uh, We've had the most mass shootings ever. So if we're murdering and then going back to those scriptures where Jesus is telling the people that the devil is their father, <laughs> you know, that's, that's pretty rough <laughs> for someone to say, well, the devil is your father uh, because he's a murderer and he always has been and he's the father of lies. So there's a very dangerous place that we can put ourselves in when our soul's in, when we're just not allowing the Holy Spirit to minister to us anymore. Uh, in in the way, uh, again in summary, that we would allow the Spirit to minister to us is through reading your Bible, through reading the Word of God. Uh, renewing yourself every day in the Word of God, praying to God every day, uh, meditating upon his word, being around those who are encouraging. Uh just as I said, you know, friends were coming along and encouraging me about my health journey, uh, my walking and eating properly. So we need people like that surrounding us to keep us grounded and balanced. Uh, we also need to show God gratitude, because with all that's going on, but Some of us are still alive, although there's over 600,000 of us that are not here any longer. And we need to actually digest the importance of giving God gratitude, not just, you know, we're to help ourselves, but there is a time when we need to spend time with God and giving Him gratitude and thanking Him for who He is. The fourth part of this was the soul. We need to allow the Holy Spirit and the love of the Holy Spirit and the love for ourselves and others to spring forth in a way within us that the fruit of the Holy Spirit can be manifest through our life. So the fruits again of the Holy Spirit are love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you're doing mass shootings or even committing suicide, that is a testament that you're not having very much self-control. So we understand that there's need for counseling and therapy, but when that's not helping, I think we really need to allow the Holy Spirit to start to penetrate through the Word of God, to penetrate through others who are trying to reach out in help. And I think that will be more helpful to us sometimes because there are times when you need that spiritual intervention as much as you need that therapy. And sometimes, if you don't have both, you don't actually ever get to that place where the Holy Spirit fruits are being uh, displayed in your life. And so, just wanted to uh, bring all that together for you. I hope this has been helpful for you, understanding the differences between the soul and the spirit, and also the danger Of not acknowledging what you know. That's very key. I hope you've had a time to reflect on some of this. You can always stop the recording and just reflect and then restart it and continue on with things. But I've purposely put in the four segments this time so that you could stop and reflect and you can go back and listen to parts of it. Okay? I have a thought that if you think with me this will make sense. So you've been listening to Shirley Smith with Bridge the Gap. It is always wonderful to have a wonderful listening audience. Uh, Just wanted to mention a few of the really great nonfiction books that you can read in case you have not heard other parts of our broadcast. But we've just reviewed uh, The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. Then there's also Cast by Isabel Wickerson. Also, Dog Whistle Politics by Haney Lopez. Dying of Whiteness, and this is by Metzel, uh Jonathan. Uh, and then also, Martin the King's books, uh, Strength to Love. Discovering Race, and this is by, actually, Mahiri. And then we have The Time is Now, and this is by Joan Chichenor. Uh, We have Breaking Rank by Norm Stamper. Uh, White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. The Christian Imagination by Dr. Willie James Jennings. Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome by Dr. Joy DeGuer, And so just wanted to mention those books. They're all wonderful books. Uh, If you missed some of these because I said them quickly, uh, you know, feel feel free to just stop the recording uh, and take a listen. I think these are very important. There are so many great nonfiction books out there uh, that are so powerful but we do not want to perish due to lack of knowledge and we certainly do not want to deny knowledge when we have received it. So blessings on your life today. This is Shirley Smith I have a thought. If you think with me, you will enjoy your day today. Have a good day.